And do you know how many people would probably like run away at the sight of dismembered legs? Yeah. Dude, there's a four foot bong and a bag of wheat by your bed. <laughs> Tillywinks, the parlor game for nerds, is nearing extinction. It's in my pod! It's in my pod! <laughs> I will find proof. <laughs> I'm very easily startled, Mr. Fingerman. <laughs> I don't know which regulation body would regulate the uh, penis ring that you were talking about earlier. <laughs> I'm ready to remain conscious as we record this show. Hey, welcome to Medical Stuff. My name is Mark. Hey, I got a camera, Frankum, and that over there is Chris Scoop Fingston. How you doing, man? Um, well, let me explain who I am. I'm Spencer. You're Chris Fingston. I'm Spencer. I'm mm, the more radio-ready uh, of the two of us. because uh, Chris, I think you're mistaking which podcast you're on. This is not pre-hospital perfect vision. <laughs> yeah, no, uh, no, I know who I am. I'm the, you know, mm. like, he's, Chris is more of a, like, video person, and I'm more of, like, a radio face. Chris, this, you're really starting to concern me, man. I mean, I really, it, I'm, I'm going to have to like call and have you checked out. Well, let's roll with you're it. You're having a hard, you're having a, having a hard time keeping up here, man. <laughs> All right. Uh, fuck it. Anyway. I'm, I'm Chris Spencer Fingston. <laughs> <laughs> hey, so today we are going to be talking about why we're talking about cameras and, and, uh, crispy and scoop Fingston. Well, because today we're going to be talking about, uh, stories from around the globe. Oh, that was beautiful. Yeah, I hope that comes out the way I mean it, meant it to when it, on the final recording. <laughs> so, because <laughs> there's in person and then there's recorded and you're like, ah, fuck, I got to cut that. So, <laughs> uh, I'm going to start out here. I've got a couple of short stories that I thought were interesting. All so, right. and then I can, we can dog into your two stories. So, we'll, yeah, we'll have five different just articles. So, this is from uh, net. Uh, it's from, it's the, the actual case is from 2008, but the article I got it from was from 2019. So they kind of hmm. slipped me, slipped me a Mickey there, you know? Yeah. That's a little strange. They're like, Oh, by the switch. way, here's some current events from 2008. Right. <laughs> okay. We need one more story. I got this one from 2008. Oh, fuck it. Put it in. So, uh, 2008, a 25 year old German skier was on a ski trip. Now, hold on. Did enough. you say steer or skier? Because I heard skier, steer. like a, like two sticks strapped to your feet, skier. Gotcha. Okay. Because I was imagining yeah, what, like what a the... German steer. And I was like, <laughs> wow, 20 years old. Well done. Yeah. No, imagine the other people on the slope when you were snowboarding on your first date with your now wife. Oh. The one with the skinny, the one with the skinny boards. Oh, yeah. Those guys. Yeah. Yeah. Strange yeah. bunch. <laughs> uh, he was with a friend and they don't really, I could never find anything that kind of, explained how this happened but he became entrapped by an avalanche and he was knocked unconscious okay so on top of a broken hip that tracks a ruptured spleen sure uh the incident left him with the muscle spasms that plagued him whenever he moved Ooh. Uh, and yeah in part this was caused by some oxygen deprivation he'd experienced being beneath the snow for about 15 minutes he was deprived of full amounts of oxygen you know yeah, that's... 15% sort of stuff, right? That's not good. <laughs> no. Uh, but uh, 
But an avalanche is not easy to survive, and he was a lucky survivor. So he was on the road to recovery. And you could say, man, that's really lucky. And I could move on to another story. But it doesn't end there. <gasps> Several weeks later, he made an... They called startling. I call interesting. <laughs> you could call it fucked up. Discovery. <laughs> Whenever he tried to solve a Sudoku puzzle, he would have a seizure in his left arm. Oh, wow. Have a focal motor seizure. And then it would go away when he stopped solving the puzzles, which I would be safe because I can't solve those goddamn things to save my life. <laughs> oh, they're good. They're fun. No, I, I do like... I, 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 can, I get to a certain point and I could probably do it. I just I don't want to do it for that kind of level of intensity. I just want to do it for fun. So Yeah, they, they get complicated for sure. Um, yeah. But, and you know, like... I, I'd probably fake a seizure to get out of doing them when they get really hard. Like, oh man, I'd love to finish solving this, oh, but like, oh my god, arm. my look arm, my arm, my arm. Oh, oh, oh take it away, take uh, it away. Oh, hey, look at that, it's better. All right. So after the doctors uh, ran a couple brainy scans, they found the seizures were triggered by strenuous activity in the right central parietal cortex, which is the part of the brain that deals with processing visu- visual spatial information. So whenever the man's 3D imagination was activated, such as by imagining three-dimensional numbers while solving Sudoku, uh, the seizure would result. Basically, he was overloading that part of his brain, which was damaged by the hypoxia. See, that sounds way less made up than my bullshit. (laughs) 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 Like, what else could I get out of? Just like, oh, dishes. No, there it goes. I can't. Like... At least this guy has, like, a really... Oh, you want legitimate medical (laughs) articles? Oh, yeah, my bad. Wow. So... No, that's uh, so fascinating. Yeah. Uh, The reason for this, while buried under the snow, he suffered from hypoxia, a condition where the brain and and tissue does not get enough oxygen. And this led to the death of the inhibitory fibers in his brain, which resulted in overactivation in the cortex whenever it was used. So... It wasn't actually damaged to the cortex. It was to the cortex, but it was the part of the cortex that slows things down. It was the brakes. Oh. Yeah. Uh, the good news is that physical therapy was able to lessen the muscle spasms, improving his quality of life. The bad news, is, bad news is the man had no choice but to give up Sudoku, his favorite pastime. I mean, he didn't have to. He, yeah. It's just his I left mean, arm. Yeah. It's not like he's flopping around peeing on himself. That's true. It's just the left <laughs> arm. I mean, if he's left-handed, I can see how that would be. Like, if you're trying to write, you know, in the little numbers, and you're, then you suddenly you're yeah. seizing. Uh. But if you, like, concentrated on it without writing, then got the answer, stopped thinking about it, waited for the seizure to subside, just wrote it in, then went, moved on to the next part of the problem. Mm, I'm just know. saying there's no commitment on him on his part here. Yeah, I don't saying. know. <laughs> that's like it's 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 maybe it's like me eating captain crunch you know like it it fucking destroys my mouth but oh yeah i love captain crunch i don't like the uh 10 minutes of bleeding afterwards <laughs> yeah you know like as as i'm bleeding down into my you know into my gut uh there's a part of me that's like this is mm, this is a bad decision i should stop but I keep making it. But then my arm, <laughs> as if on its own, just lifts another spoonful of that fucking sweet glass into my mouth. And uh, I just continue on. Do you think when they were making it, they, like, tested it and they're like, no, it's too soft? <laughs> no, 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 that's like, that's like you know, that, that's, that's like, a, you know, eighth inch glass. No, no, cook it longer. 
yep. cook it longer. You know, add more hardener to it. Okay, there you go. We can actually cut leather with this now, so we're good. <laughs> I, I like to the creator. I just, like, like, I'm afraid of this person who's like, yeah, I like a lot of pain with my pleasure. Like that. <laughs> mm. I guess this could be a masochist's breakfast, though. It really could be. Yeah. All right. And if they're forced to do it, the other person's the sadist. Eat the eat the cereal. But it hurts my mouth. Eat the cereal. Yes, master. <laughs> so now that brings a question. Does your wife make you eat the cereal? Oh, God, no. No, I I, <laughs> I mean, here's the thing. I'll, we haven't bought it in our house in a long time, um, but I'm pretty sure well, I'm the one who bought it. Uh, <laughs> she cares about what she puts in her kids' bodies. <laughs> I don't... I, I just think we both kind of know, like, why would you buy, why would you buy crushed glass? <laughs> kind of monster, are you? <laughs> Especially when right next to it is the fucking addictive as shit cinnamon toast crunch, or cinnamon and toast crack. And that is a lot less. Yeah, and that is a lot less dangerous. Oh overall. god, that'll just slide down your throat. You won't even know. Yeah. You you don't by even the end, know. By what's the end happening. of the bowl, you can just slurp it straight down. You yeah. here's how cinnamon toast crunch works. You pour a bowl. You wake up five days later in a random city, your pants are gone, you have a tourniquet around your arm, and there's a fucking spoon with glazed-on, cooked-on milk and cinnamon residue next to you, and you just basically have to, like, retrace your steps to get home. Exactly. Like, I no, I've poured a bowl, and I've, like, kind of come to, like, three bowls later, and I'm like, I don't, when did, like, I didn't even fuck, like, when did I refill my bowl? Whose house am I in? Why? <laughs> oh God! Why is there blood on my hands? <laughs> Naked next to a deer, you know. Not again. My name is Chris Finkston, and I have murdered somebody <laughs> over a cinnamon toast crunch bowl. I, uh, yeah, no, that's uh, that's a problem. Have you run that call in real life? Not cinnamon toast crunch, but somebody who literally wakes up three days later after a bender. And doesn't know where, where where they are or I, what's going on. I have not responded to a blackout event. I have I have in, I have had one blackout event in my life, but I have never <laughs> gone. Uh, I've never responded to somebody. I, uh, in Oklahoma, I had one. This guy was nine months clean from meth. Uh, three months ago, his mom had finally let him live back in her house. And like half a week earlier, she allowed him to drive the car for the first time because she was building up trust in him. Yeah. He had left to go to the store to get some milk three days ago. Doesn't know where he is when we get there. Doesn't know where his mom's car is. Doesn't know where it is, but is fairly convinced he sold it for meth. He sold it for meth. And he was, yeah, he was not in a good condition when we found him. So. Yeah. Anyway. uh, All right on that bummer. Story two. Thanks. (laughs) Now I brought it down. Okay, yours. Go ahead, man. Let's go, Chris. Got to keep up the rate here, man. God damn it! All right, all right. So, uh, I, you know, I, I picked two articles. Um, the first of which uh, became a. I, I got mad at a meme on Facebook, as one does when they're on Facebook and they encounter memes. Um, and this, so the article I'm going to talk about is Elijah McLean's death and the role of ketamine. And you might recall this article. It came out recently. This is actually a call, uh, like, this is actually an event that happened uh, almost a year ago, or a little over a year ago, actually, now. Uh, but it came up in a, it, it's come up in the political climate. Mm-hmm. 
Uh, so on August 24th, 2019, a 23-year-old black man wearing a black ski mask walked from his home down to a gas station several blocks away and bought some sodas. Uh, they had, I saw the video of him in the gas station. He purchased his sodas. He politely bowed to a person who waited, who was waiting to buy stuff behind him and then left the shop heading home. So somebody saw, somebody saw him walking and called 911 to report a suspicious person walking with a black ski mask on. Now it is the evening. It's like 10, you know, 1030 at night or something like that. Um, and there's so, a person quick, walking with a quick, ski I mask. Just, I yeah. got a couple questions. Not that it makes a difference in any way, shape, or form. Do we know why he was... Was it cold? I mean, was there a okay, reason I'll, for the ski I'll, mask? Yeah, I, I have that actually ahead, but I'll, uh, I'll just hit that Okay, now. no, 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 no. No, no, no so, uh, he was, so his family says that he was one of those people... Like, that was something he did when he was cold. They said in a statement that he had a blood condition um, in which he felt chilled. Um, so I'm imagining okay. like anemia, but I didn't see anything specific listed right. in the article. Also, since we're covering his past medical history, he does have a history of asthma. Um, okay. But so that's. I mean, like, like like I said, it makes no difference why he's wearing it. He didn't do anything wrong. <laughs> yeah. Um, so the caller stated in the 911 call that they released that he says, hey, the guy just looks sketchy. And it was suspicious that a person's walking around wearing a ski mask. And it's not cold out. It's about 60 degrees, which, I mean, I don't know. Some people mm. might call cold, but I, I call... That's a, that's a subjective temperature. Exactly. Um, but the caller did say, like, hey, this could be a good guy or it could be a bad guy. I don't know. It was just weird. Like, it's just sketchy. So, right. uh and then the caller, the 911 caller, or excuse me, the 911 dispatcher said, like, hey, are there any reports of weapons? And there weren't any. So Elijah McLean is walking down the street, and at 1043, an officer spots him and gets out of his vehicle. So he right. orders Elijah to stop, stop, stop. Hey, stop right there. And from the video footage, Elijah seems kind of like he doesn't seem to hear him at first, and then he seems startled and kind of like protests. But ultimately, within nine seconds of exiting his patrol car, the officer attempts to physically detain Mr. McLean, announcing, I have a right to stop you because you are being suspicious. By so a minute later, a, a minute later at 1044, two other officers arrive and they all sort of surround Mr. McLean. They order him to stop moving and one of them can be heard trying to coax him to calm down and comply and Elijah can be heard telling them that he is an introvert and that they need to respect the boundaries that he is speaking and to leave him alone. He imploringly tells them that he is going home and he tells them he was listening to his music. As they attempt to move him from the sidewalk, he tells them, I intend to take my power back. And, he's, and then a struggle appears to ensue. Now, body cameras from the officers one of them falls down and the others might have fallen i got a report that one fell and that one was just not really clear and i got report that all the body cams fell but the footage that i saw just basically it, you know it it looks like it looks like when somebody like an officer is struggling right so uh a struggle is, ensues then an officer tells one of the other officers that mr mclean appears to be going for his service weapon, the officer's service weapon. Again, okay. that's not at all clear from the body cam footage of what's happening. But the officer responds by uh, putting uh, Mr. McLean in a carotid chokehold. 
and then oh. they moved to the ground. So Mr. McLean is reported to have gone unconscious, possibly twice. He is placed in cuffs, and he regains consciousness. He is distressed, and he tells the officer, my name is Elijah McLean. I was going home. That is all I was doing, just going home. I'm an introvert, and I'm different. I'm just different. That's all. I'm so sorry. I have no gun. I don't do that stuff. I don't do any fighting. Why are you attacking me? At oh. 10... At 10.49, he vomits. The officer tells him to stop. Mr. McLean <laughs> apologized, said he wasn't trying to do that, but he says he, he can't he, breathe he correctly. Told him to stop vomiting? Yeah. I, you know, I, okay. I do that all the time. Like, you stop. You stop vomiting right now. It's actually in our protocol, Mark. Um, right. You, yeah. know, we, uh, you sternly you know, order somebody to stop vomiting, and if that doesn't work... You, then we go to like the alcohol prep. You, no, you escalate. Then you, you, then you yell. <laughs> you just yell. Um, it sounds like he was also trying to change his position, and one of the officers can be heard on the on the camera uh, saying, "Like, hey, if you do, like, stop messing around, or I'll get my dog." So uh, to a person who's already restrained on the ground. Yeah, um, okay. but he vomits several more times and is repeatedly told to stay on the ground by the officers. At 10.54, officers say that when... So an officer can be heard telling another officer that when a medic unit arrives, they will give him ketamine. And they quote it as saying, whatever he is on, he has incredible strength. Another officer adds crazy strength. So at 10.59, a medic unit arrives and administers 500 milligrams of ketamine intramuscularly. And he is... Wow. And a few minutes later... He goes unresponsive, and he is low, or you know, disassociative, or disassociated. I guess would be a, the correct term. He's sedated, and he's loaded into an ambulance. The cuffs are removed and switched out with soft restraints. Which so, quick question? Yeah. Did you happen to look up if that's a standard dosage for chemical restraint with ketamine? So their dose in their protocol is five milligrams per kilogram, and they assumed that he was a hundred kilogram male. Okay. So oh. that is their IM dose for that. And okay. from the so areas... Following, from the areas, They were following oh, protocol. What's that? So, yep. They were following protocol. They were following their protocol. Um, so at 11.07, the patient goes into cardiac arrest in the ambulance. CPR is initiated, and he is resuscitated. But ultimately and unfortunately, he's declared brain dead and eventually taken off life support. So... so a, co- a corner was... I have, un- I have questions. Yeah, go ahead. <laughs> well, no, I was going to say, did they monitor did his respiratory rate? You know, did that dose... Because did they K-hole this guy? I mean, they absolutely K-hole him. Because, like, the, the dissociative but, state is basically like an on-off switch. And we'll... I, right. I, I break... I go into a little bit of ketamine up ahead here. And I don't know... Okay. Like, we don't have access to their charts and all of that. So we can't... You know, okay. There's no so information know they... there on that. Uh, except that... Their medical control basically came out and said, like, uh, this was all done on the, you know, uh, appropriate. Like, there was no comment. Let me let me start over there. There was no indication of foul play or report or indication of foul play from the uh, okay. uh, ambulance side of this, I guess. Okay. Um, yeah. And I don't know the events that happened. You know, like, there's what happened and there's what's charted. And sometimes right. there's a discrepancy. But, right. you know, it doesn't seem yeah. like that. Like, this case was, I'm imagining, was in heavy review. So, um, oh, yeah. so a coroner was unable to adequately determine a cause of death. 
citing that there was not enough evidence to support one conclusion over another. The potential causes they gave were, well, it could have just been a natural death. Mr. McLean was found to have a narrow left coronary artery. Um, it could be an unknown ketamine reaction. The ketamine was determined uh, on a blood exam to be at a normal therapeutic level. And by the way, a blood exam showed that the only other drug that he had in his system was marijuana. So it wasn't like there mm-hmm. was like PCP or, you know, like amphetamines right. or cocaine or any of that other nothing stuff. Nothing that would make him crazy strong. Not, yeah, like, nothing that, yeah. Um, okay. And then the third option was that it could be homicide via the chokehold. But he could not say conclusively one way or another. And so right. the DA who was in the case said that they would not be charging anyone due to the inconclusive evidence. And this Mm. has recently come up in news because there's now a special prosecutor appointed to this case because, you know, it's worth getting to the bottom of. (laughs) Shit looks sketchy. Yeah. So, again, family said Mr. McLean was known to wear a mask when it was cold. And there was a statement in the NBC article which referenced that he had a blood condition. But, again, I didn't see any more on that and that he had a history of asthma. And, again, this caught my interest because there is a lot of Facebook media and memes basically trying to argue that cops are now using illicit date rape drugs to violate citizens. And this is a false narrative. Uh, And I'm going to (sighs) explain why. But first, let's just touch on ketamine, what it is, why it's being used. So really quickly... And if you want more information on this, tune into EMS 2020 <laughs> sedation <laughs> lessons from Skater Boy, <laughs> of which I, Chris Finkston, am a co-host with a well played, fantastic well played. co-host, Spencer Oliver. I've heard Chris say that comparing you, you, you know, Spencer to me, I've heard you say before that it's it's hands down Spence. He's... You're just such a better co-host on so many levels. Uh, who is? Spencer or Chris? Spencer, I'm... yes. Spencer, yeah. Chris, you've told me that Spencer is just a much better co-host. I mean, Leaves me in the dust. You know, I, boy, I hate to give credit where credit's due, but he is just, I mean, he is phenomenal. I, it puts me to shame every day. I, uh, <laughs> he's just... You know, the way he never stumbles over words and kind of like, um, and uh, like, you know, I almost never have to edit him. He's he's just incredible. Yeah. Clear as a bell, Oliver is how he refers to you. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) You know. Oh, God. And a funny fucker, too. Oof. Oh, God. Yeah. Yeah. He, uh, he told me, uh, you told me, what, like four different occasions that he, you've peed yourself laughing at stuff that Spencer's told you? And that doesn't count the time I just, I, you know, I couldn't even contain my bowels. Just loosened <laughs> immediately. It's like he hit, he, he, that laughter hit a pitch where it just kind of activates the brown note. <laughs> Which I'm sure we've covered, uh, me being Chris, on uh, medical right. stuff. The brown note. Right. Find that episode. <laughs> Listen to that one. Or don't. It's dangerous. All right. You don't want to hear it because then, you know, then you're screwed. Ooh. Yeah. Just... So ketamine. Yeah. Back to ketamine. <laughs> so ketamine is a rapid-acting dissociative sedative that not only produces sedation at the induction dose, but also produces some analgesia as well. So basically, it uh, addresses some pain controls. 
as well. So basically, the theory is that it inhibits inhibits oof, NMDA receptors in the brain, which causes that separation of mind-body, a.k.a. that hypnosis or that disassociation. Mm-hmm. It also is an opioid agonist to some degree, which is why it's often used by EMS to potentiate pain medications such as fentanyl, so make you know fentanyl even stronger. Right. So ketamine, through its myriad of actions, also stimulates the sympathetic nervous system, meaning that heart rate, blood pressure, and respiratory rates are stimulated and or preserved. And this is interesting because the drug itself is actually a negative inotrope, uh, meaning that if it didn't do all those other things, then all it would do is actually decrease the force of contractions of the heart, uh, which would in turn decrease blood pressure. But because of its effects... Um, being stronger than that effect, it's actually a great you you know it's a great medication mm-hmm. to use. Uh, oh no, it, it works wonders. Uh, the only time I've had an interaction, a poor interaction, uh, for pain, was I gave it to this gentleman, and it was back when we first had it. And since then, I've started preparing the patients for what's going to happen, because I gave him the dose. Yep. Which uh, for us for pain at that time was fifteen milligrams. Yep. Uh, which is not a huge amount. No, but it, I mean, it's, a, it's about, a decent amount for pain medication, yeah. Right. So about six or seven minutes later, he all of a sudden, it's so loud in here. <laughs> We're just in the back of the ring going to the hospital. Yeah, I've had patients, I've had patients who <coughs> either really like it, you know, you're like, hey man, what's your right. pain? And they're like, pain? I don't even know who the fuck yeah. I am anymore. And you're like, wow, exactly. all right, cool. And then I've had people who just, you give it to them and they're like, I don't, I don't like this. I don't. And you're yeah, like, never, Oh God. Oh never no. Never give I, this to me again. <laughs> this is, this is going to be well, a really he, long trip. Um, well, I said to him, I go, actually, that's the medication. That's, you know, I go, uh, people in clubs pay good money for that feeling. They're fucking idiots. Nice. <laughs> nice. Well, that's a good point. Like there are a range of effects based on the circulating concentrations of ketamine. So at lower Mm -hmm. doses, drowsiness, some hallucinations, delirium are described as the main effects with analgesia, and then disassociating, disassociation occurring at higher levels. And the onset of action via IV is usually just a couple minutes, and it has a half-life of about 25 minutes. It's... I found that there's a dramatic variation from patient to patient on how effective it is. It is. That's true. You know, uh, we give it, uh, we drop our, uh, right now our dose, our dose for pain is 25 milligrams and we draw it up into nine cc's or seven cc's. Was it? Uh, you draw it up into an amount. You draw it up into a 10, what, a 10 cc flush and we give it slow over a minute. Yeah. And I've still had a patient K hole. She just, her sat started dropping immediately, you know, oh, and she, her head was lolling all over there. And I was like. Yeah, she just, she was very sensitive to the ketamine. I like it in uh, the high doses, especially for like RSI, because you just, it's a, the the disassociation is essentially an on or off. They either have, they are are either dissociated or they're not. Um, And it's, you know, like, and once you kind of hit that level, then like, there's no, you can't go any further than disassociated. And you just like, you just stay in it longer. Um, Mm -hmm. And I also like that it does kind of have a shorter like duration of effect um because that way like if they do feel weird about it they're like oh i don't mm, i don't know what i feel but i don't like this and you're like hey don't worry it's the medication it'll be over soon like 
you know, and right. you can kind of try yeah, and, and coach them. That down. patient, that patient that was sensitive to it. Yeah. Uh, by the time we got to the hospital, she was coming out of it. Yeah. And she was starting to wake up and look around and. And so far, she, everything kind of shows that it's relatively safe in EMS. You know, the best mm-hmm. estimate I could find on toxicity is estimated to be 600 milligrams per kilogram. And that's based on animal studies and a paper written on toxicity by Dr. Orahu. Uh, ooh, I'm going to butcher this. And Orahuru. I don't know about Life Flight, but our dose for RSI is two milligrams per kilogram. Exactly. <laughs> so. And even at the IM dose of five milligrams per kilogram that's in this protocol, that's a right. far cry from the, you know, like, you know, potentially lethally toxic dose of 600. Now there are side effects and we'll get into that. And just to clarify, like no one is denying that ketamine has been used by some people for date rape or that it's, you know, like it's a drug that's, you know, people abuse in clubs, but it does also have a lot of clinical uses and potential. Mm -hmm. And so let's talk about why this is great for patients with excited delirium, because that term gets brought up a lot in this situation. Uh, mm-hmm. for this uh, for this particular incident. And so I guess first let's explain what excited delirium is. Now I thought this was going to be pretty simple, but it turns out that uh, this kind of yeah. put me on a path. <laughs> excited delirium is actually a rather controversial term. It doesn't appear to be accepted by several medical bodies, including the World Health Organization and the American Medical Association. The, oh, wow. the American College of Emer- Emergency Physicians, however, have a consensus that it's a real syndrome, quote, with uncertain, likely multiple etiologies. And that's from the Journey of, Journal of Emergency Medicine. Oh, I wrote Journey of Emergency Medicine. Journal of Emergency Medicine. <laughs> well, you know, medicine is a journey. Yeah. Culture. And, you know, I'm like, <laughs> hey, man, fuck that. We're the journey of emergency medicine. Like, d- ignore the journal. They're fake news. Yeah, they don't have a building; they just have a microbus yeah. to travel around in. <laughs> exactly, <laughs> but that's like when they get when they when somebody counters their article, they're just like, "Well, that's just like your opinion, man." <laughs> <laughs> but essentially, what they're describing with this condition is a patient exhibiting many of the following signs or symptoms: agitation, aggression, disorientation. Or, like, disassociation. And in this case, what they mean is just sort of like a disassociation from reality. Um, probably not to the same degree that disassociation happens with uh, ketamine. I, yeah. Hallucinations, hyperthermia, diaphoresis, so heavy sweating, tachycardia, and tachydysrhythmias, unexpected strength, and inappropriate garb. Um, and th- that one is usually with, like, that um, terminal undressing. You know, like where people yeah. are like, oh, my God, I'm, you know, like I'm dying. They like to I, get naked. I need to get naked. And, you know, um, so and this usually, by the way, presents in males. Um, so really, basically, yeah, I know. Right. Weird. Because, uh, ba- well, I mean, you figured uh, there would at least be a percentage of female excited delirium because they're. Are you going to are you clubs. arguing with Wikipedia right now? No, I am not. No, sir. I do not want that following me around. <laughs> I, Look, Chris, I, stop following, throwing me under the bus. I, okay. I don't know if there are any, but like it just says usually that, which to me means mostly males, but right. probably there's probably a few females sprinkled in there. Um, <laughs> but basically, you just have to imagine a person in a hypermetabolic state. They're hot. Their heart rate's high. They are burning a ton of energy, and their body. And when we say high, we mean like 
150, 160 range and up. Or up, yeah, for sure. You know. They are burning a ton of energy, and their body is just fighting to keep up with that production. They're breathing mm-hmm. fast, trying to breathe off the acid that their body is generating. Their heart's beating fast, trying to move everything along and get rid of all the waste that the cells are generating. It basically, it's a, just a hot mess. And there may be even... And then usually, usually on top of that, they're not uh, tracking with reality around them. Exactly. And that's that. There might be, and that's a good point because, like, there may be even more adrenaline if they're fighting or terrified or in that state of psychosis where the you know they're, mm-hmm. they're everything's you know, they're, they're fearful. They're fighting for their life. Exactly. And so this situation can absolutely be made worse by with fighting by exacerbating all of the above because if if like here's the thing like because of the aggravation, aggression, and delusion often associated with the condition. Police and EMS do encounter this syndrome, and a significant mm-hmm. number of the fatalities are attributed to law enforcement or restraint situations, because now the patient who's already sort of at peak, you know, like workload that their body can tolerate, now is in a you know fight for their life, whether it's real well, or like whether it's imagined or not, like they are fighting for their life. And uh, the other thing is, is you're rarely going to fight one cop in this situation. You're going to have five or six police officers on you trying to hold you down when they're doing it correctly. Yep. You know, they're trying to hold you down. And so, and you're fighting against that because again, you're not tracking with reality. Yeah. And so you are, yeah. And that just uh, throws a person who's already hyperthermic through the stratosphere. Exactly. Exactly. And so some of the potential causes for this condition include stimulant drug usage, such as cocaine, amphetamines, PCP, or a patient undergoing alcohol withdrawal. Um, Some cases of head trauma are listed, um, and some experts say that there are some serious psychiatric conditions which may be uh, an attributable cause. There is no agreement on the mechanisms behind this condition, but there is a lot of speculation that the neurotransmitter dopamine may play a significant role. And I will not bore everyone with the random studies that I have read through regarding dopamine's <laughs> role, but like they're going, it's it's pretty extensive. Uh, they're pretty sure it's we've, dopamine. We've, we've spoken on this show a number of times where you can either find no information or go down a rabbit hole for a couple of hours and find way too much information. Yeah, <laughs> so it, if you're interested in that, I barely was clinging Google on. dopamine and excited delirium and look at it yourself. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Do your own work. <laughs> Chris Fixton quote. <laughs> Do your own work. <laughs> so here's the thing. There's Man, Chris, no Chris is in a mood tonight. There is no approved, like outlined treatment plan for this condition. Uh, the current medical thought is basically to sedate quickly and do supportive care. Support respirations, give IV fluids to rehydrate, cool the patient, and any other supportive care they might need. Uh, and even, here's the thing, like even with treatment, there is a risk for patients to just decline. They can go into lethal dysrhythmias. They can go into respiratory arrest, kidney failure, rhabdo, DIC, and more. So rhabdo is rhabdomyolysis. Yes. And we actually have an episode on that on, uh, medical stuff. Indeed we do. Describing exactly what that is. So this is where ketamine and other medications come into play. So usually medications like benzodiazepines or strong antipsychotic medications like haloperidol are used. 
but ketamine has been gaining traction as an effective medication for this condition as well. From several, from several studies done, it has been shown to work much faster than the other medications, and it might even have benefits in that it supports respiratory function while the patient is disassociated, therefore sedated. Whereas other medications might depress the respiratory drive while it depresses everything else, sedating the patient. So that's sort of where it's good. Like if, if somebody is, you know, relying on, you know, their, their blood pH is, you know, 7.0 and they are breathing 80 times a minute to try and blow that off. And that's a hyperbolic statement. Yeah. Breathing 30 to 40 times a minute to blow that off. You don't necessarily want to suppress the respiratory rate because that's what's kind of keeping their, their blood pH in check. Um, you really want to make sure that they're still able to breathe and breathe off that acid that they're blowing up because carbon dioxide is an acid. Um, and so this medication supports that as well as working way faster to stop them from fighting. So that's the, that's the benefit. Now, there are some downsides. There's a small risk of laryngospasm in some patients, which that would be bad. There's also right. a risk of an adverse reaction and where their breathing actually stops or pauses um, or slows down, um, like you described in your patient there, Mark. Um, and there's also the risk of an emergence phenomenon in which the patient comes out of the dissociation and sedation with agitation and dysphoria. Um, right. So one of the common recommendations is to add in a benzo, like a benzodiazepine to blunt the effect um, for that. But... You know, it's still a thing that can happen. There's also the risk of allergy. You know, somebody who just may just sure be allergic to the medication. And it's hard to kind of, you know, like, sir, stop fighting. Also, are you allergic? <laughs> like, <laughs> that's, that's a difficult thing to ask. So um, there and there is some question as to whether or not the rate or route given has any significant impact on these adverse effects. There doesn't seem to be any agreement what impact, if any, those play. Um, so, in an EMS system study about ketamine for sedation, they noted more complications, and this, I believe, was done in 2011, uh, with this drug than with haloperidol. They reported that the patients sedated with ketamine, they often had to intubate, or they had to intubate more often. So that was one of the downsides for EMS uh, when they did a study on ketamine for sedation. Um, however, more studies have been done, in, but specifically studies in the emergency department for patients with acute agitation. And they found that none of their patients required sedation, or excuse me, re <laughs> intubation. They found that none of their patients who were sedated with ketamine needed intubation. They did, however, find when the ketamine wore off, the patients were usually still agitated, which meant that which they took to mean that it's probably the ketamine is probably great for initial sedation, but then they have to add in another longer lasting medication after the fact. Right. And by the way, like when I'm talking about it works faster, it works within like the median uh, or the mean time was about 4.5 minutes, whereas the other ones were going into like the 10 uh, minute oh, wow. range for a, so not rocking fast, but still they're still faster, much faster. Um, yeah. And honestly, in my experience in giving induction doses, it's usually within like a minute they're shut down. Yeah. So yeah. 
Um, yeah. So for the EMS side, Dr. Razai, the author of the Rebel EM and uh, article, and that's Rational Evidence-Based Evaluation of Literature in Emergency Medicine, uh, included a speculation from experts on the discrepancy between the ED and pre-hospital findings. So yes, the paramedics intubated more, but that doesn't always mean that they needed to do it more. So what yeah. happens here is they're thinking that instead the paramedics might have been uncomfortable with bringing to the ED a completely dissociated patient who has a GCS of three. Because you can remember the old adage, GCS less, less than eight. Intubate. Intubate. Yeah. 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 I hate that phrase. So that might be one of the situations here where the paramedic just became very uncomfortable with their now unresponsive, you know, <laughs> patient and right. decided to yeah, take the airway. Unfortunately, sometimes uh, paramedics will choose a treatment plan because of how it will look when they get to the hospital if they don't do it, and not really. Yeah, I, I don't know. Taking if, the time to justify why they didn't do it when they got there. I th I think there's just a. I don't necessarily think they're like, oh, I'll look bad if I don't. I think it's more of like, I will be accused of doing harm to a patient. They'll, you know, like I'll show right. up and the well, yeah. doctor is going to just light me up for not protecting this patient's airway because their GCS is now three, you know, and there, right. there isn't, you know, there isn't the explanation of like, no, this is fine. This is expected. Just, you know, use, I, I you know, use end title and monitor the respirations. Right. So, well, I picked up a, I took, picked up a patient who overdosed on Ativan and, and I didn't intubate him. I got to the ER, and this was about a month and a half ago. Mm -hmm. And the doc's like, why didn't you intubate this patient? I'm like, because his sats are 100%. His heart rate is 110, and his blood pressure is like 142 over 98. Why would I do something to mess that up? Yeah. I mean, and they ended up intubating him there, which is fine, because they have a different motivation for the intubation, which is, you know, long-term care. Because I'm sitting there with the patient the entire time. If he starts to vomit, then I'm there to suction. Sure. But once the patient, they've got their initial review or their initial um, exam done, that patient may be in the room by himself. So an intub you know, being intubated protects that patient's airway. But Yeah. 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 So I, more studies are being done because um, ketamine is becoming more and more sort of the, uh, the you know, expected standard. Um, but so far, everything sort of suggests that ketamine is, is a safe and reliable medication in managing agitated patients requiring sedation. So, while it's possible that ketamine played a role in Mr. McLean's death, it seems unlikely from where I'm sitting. So, let's now talk about the carotid chokehold that the officer reported using on Mr. McLean, which the coroner also said may have played a role in the death. And so, as an aside, I did attend a day-long course with the Washington County Sheriff's Office several years back that had, was a focused on strangulation, uh, including mm -hmm. chokeholds. And so at the time, Oregon was passing a law to make strangulation a felony rather than a misdemeanor. Um, and the class was focused mostly on domestic abuse situations, but it included the risk of things like the choking game, which kids play, suicide attempts, and, you know, like fights that include chokeholds. So, mm -hmm. Dr. Smock, uh, which is a phenomenal name, <laughs> a police surgeon from the great state of MD, has a top twat... <laughs> Top 25 complications from the strangling list. So let me go ahead and pull up some of those. Uh, yeah, you can Google Dr. Smock. It's as it's spelled. Uh, <laughs> and he actually has a pretty good list here. So one, acute death. 
because you compress the blood vessels of the jugular vein, 2.86 to 4.4 pounds of pressure needed, or the carotid artery, 11 pounds of pressure, or the vertebral arteries, which is a lot of, <laughs> all right, now we're starting to get ridiculous, like 16 and a half to 66 pounds of pressure. And this can cause wow. a, anoxic, hypoxic brain cell death and gets bad from there. Number two, acute death through compression or occlusion of the trachea. Probably not the case here. Acute death, number three, combination of airway compromise, carotid artery occlusion, jugular vein occlusion, and suffocation asphyxia. And anoxic and hypoxic brain cell death from simultaneously compromised airway and blood flow. Number four, we're now getting into the delayed death. This is anoxic hypoxic brain cell death, multi-system organ failure, hours to days to months post-strangulation chokehold. Many victims reported to have appeared normal. Then we get into th hmm. thrombotic strokes. Clots develop within the carotid arteries. So when somebody is you know, squeezing your neck and you know compressing the carotid artery, that can actually cause damage. If there's plaque, it can break off plaque, which then you know essentially sends the thrombus up into the brain, which plants itself somewhere and goes like, yeah, you know what? This looks like a good spot, Martha. Let's set up camp here and uh, yeah, we'll just block all the blood <laughs> and uh, we'll kill off this little area of brain. This is our home now. Mm -hmm. Behold this rock that once was a brain, but now it's a rock upon which I will build. <laughs> so it it can pretty like this can do pretty devastating uh, stuff here. Um, and then you can have um, embolic strokes. Uh, there was a Kentucky police officer who developed an acute stroke symptoms within 10 minutes after lateral vascular neck restraint training. He tapped out while still conscious and there was plaque that broke off there. Um, there's a couple more here. You can get delayed cryptogenic strokes, which essentially cerebral, they're cerebral infarcts from prior anoxic brain damage. Um, and they occur months to years after the anoxic damage from the strangulation or chokehold. Um, you can get encephalopathy. Uh, and that's basically like your brain swells because of the, um, you know, suddenly it's like, oh my God, I'm injured because there's no blood flow or reduced blood flow. And then that releases cellular mediators, which then essentially call like your, <laughs> your body to go like, hey, send all your extra fluid into the brain area. Um, and that can be so bad. So what, what I'm kind of getting here is, is a bunch of bad shit. They, yeah, man. I'm, <laughs> I, will, I will save everybody the – it's just a ton, a ton. And many yeah. – like some of these clearly don't apply to this case, but – some of them could, um, right. you know, and so that's, that's where like, Ooh, it's not, it's not a good thing. Um, so here's the thing in my non-expert opinion, it's really unlikely that ketamine is the player in the death of Mr. McLean, but well, and then going, going back to your, uh, meme, the police are not administering date rate drugs on drugs on people. And I will, I'll definitely address that here. Um, because you're right, they're not. But regarding ketamine, I could be wrong. Uh, you know, it could be some kind of reaction. You know, like it's we can't say for sure one way or another. But I think it's probably more likely going to involve the chokehold, given the possible negative effects that we've covered. Milligrams. Is, so there was some question about the dose given to the patient because they gave him 500 milligrams, assuming he was a 220 pound male. His actual weight was actually 140 pounds. 
But again, Whoops. given what we know about the drug, the difference in the dose probably wouldn't have had that big of an impact. Like he's getting a dissociative dose and he'll just like from everything we under, like I understand about this medication, it's just that he'll be dissociated longer. Like that yeah. Um Okay. So there there are a ton of fair and really uncomfortable questions that come up from this incident. You know, the police did seem to be pushing for ketamine even before the medics got there. And then there's right. a question of like, was it actually indicated? And in watching the videos and seeing the interactions, I'm not necessarily sure that it was, but I wasn't there. But I do understand the bad optics here and the general public's like expressed discomfort because it does look like the police are ordering medics to use this medication. But that right. isn't actually the case. The paramedics are the ones who make that determination on their own, and they are held responsible for those decisions. And you can right. bet your sweet ass that the medical director for this service examined the shit out of this call to make sure that... Oh, there and, were meetings that were had. Oh, God. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so another question that comes up is, was the police treatment fair? Nine seconds seems like a very tiny amount of time to go from trying to get someone's attention to physically restraining them. And there's the question of whether chokeholds are necessary for police to use. The Aurora Police Department has since issued a ban on carotid uh, chokeholds for their people. I, I don't. I don't believe there's a reason to chokehold anybody. I I'm hundred percent with you there. So there are a ton of questions, but here's the things we know: ketamine has thus far demonstrated itself as a safe and dependable drug for sedation of highly agitated patients. And it is not being used by the state's, the state, uh, excuse me, it is not being used by the state forces to illegally drug people. Don't buy into the right. conspiracy narrative. It's not real. There are real right. issues that need to be addressed here. EMS giving ketamine to people is not one of them. No. Boom. This is why I only have two yeah. articles, man, because, oh, God, the, the, <laughs> I was done with this around, like, 530. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, oh, God, we're recording soon, and I've only got one. The second one's easier, though. Uh, so I'm going to be into my second one. How about that? Yeah, do it. Uh, it's going to be a little bit lighter. It's definitely not going to be as, as thick. <laughs> and it's going to be lighter in, uh, uh, not only in length, but also in... Uh, yeah, this no, I mean, what could be, you know, what could be lighter, <laughs> what could be darker than death? Murder. Right. So, uh, this one comes from Live Science, which I generally don't, I don't know how much I trust Live Science, because I haven't looked into it. Is this the one that's uh, run by Lance Armstrong? I don't know. Is that you know? Live Science? Because <laughs> he's had his live yeah. strong. Maybe it's live science. Oh, I may, be, I may be confusing too. But I will say in this case, the, what oh crap, uh, what I did see was that they were quoting uh, journal uh, Journal of Emergency Medicine. Oh crap, uh, Journal of Emergency Medicine uh, articles. So I thought eh, I'll trust them on this one. Sorry about that. I bumped my uh, earpiece. Yeah, you're good, bud. So, um, so yeah, they were, this was all coming from like, they were quoting a journal of emergency medicine okay. article or New England. So they would seem pretty thick, 
So, uh, catheter bags, which sometimes are used to collect hospital patients, your hospitalized patients' urines, and not just hospitalized, but uh, are not usually a hot topic of discussion. Uh, so, catheter bags—they are inserted up the ureter. Oof. Correct. Uh, yeah, I know. Makes you makes you sweat thinking about it. Into the bladder. Then there's a balloon that's uh, in your most common ones. There's a balloon that is in, uh, inflated sure. and pulled back against the opening. Thereby, all of the urine that comes out of the bladder goes down through a tube into a collection bag. Yes. And there's a number of different reasons for doing this. Um, wanting to keep a tight eye on how much output the patient's putting out, if they have kidney or liver problems. Absolutely. Um, patients that are chronically incontinent and it ends up causing decubitus or rashes or things like that mm-hmm. over the long term. <clears throat> well, in this case... It uh, became a hot topic of discussion because the patient's pee turned purple. Ooh, interesting. Yeah. So there was a couple different cases out there. This one was about a case for a woman in France who, after 10 days of hospitalization, saw the pee in her catheter change from a normal yellow to a curious violet. Now, hold uh, on. The condition? Has she been eating beets? No, oh, she had not. Damn it. Nice try, though. Actually, yeah. No, she hadn't been eating asparagus either. So, uh, the rare, so this rare condition, simply known as, and I just don't think they put a whole lot of work into this, purple urine bag syndrome. <laughs> couldn't there, couldn't there have been like flying purple foley bag syndrome or something? I they, I would expect it. I would expect it to be a little more like med medically jargony, you know, like right, yeah, like. Like, and what's the, the Latin uh, word for purple? <laughs> right. Exactly. <coughs> Excuse me. And uh, then they uh, they cover that up by just referring to it as pubs. <laughs> yep. Like, wow, this is dis- this is becoming disappointing on many levels. So, so it is a result of a chemical reaction that takes place inside the catheter bag. The doctors found the bacteria called Klebsiella. C-K-L-E-B-C-S-I-E-L-L-A, pneumonia, pneumonia, uh, normally found in the human gut and able to cause an infection throughout the body. Oh. So a diet rich in tryptophan found in foods like turkey, red meat, dairy, can also cause a reaction in the gut where the tryptophan interacts with the higher bacteria count in the, uh, in the urine. So it occurs when bacteria convert a chemical in the urine called endoxyl sulfate, hmm. a breakdown product of the dietary component tryptophan, into red and blue colored components, which together turn purple. I don't believe it. I thought red and <laughs> I thought uh, red and pink added together made it like a darker purple. Uh, red and blue will make purple. Well, you know, like, I, I I thought it was like an additive thing on the scale. Me being Chris Fingston, <laughs> of course. Right. Uh, Spencer undoubtedly yeah. knows all of this. Uh, but, you know, like, you follow the spectrum and you're like, all right, a little orange uh, and yellow uh, together, add together to make a darker red. And then orange and red right. add together to make a super dark red, like a scarlet red. And then a scar- red plus a scarlet red go to the <laughs> next thing and it starts getting purpley, you know. 
Yeah, but uh, but for this article specifically, we're just talking about the purple urine bag syndrome, not those other colors, not red urine bag syndrome or rainbow bag or pink urine bag syndrome. Yeah, you know, this is we're gonna keep, we're gonna limit it for this podcast just to this one. Uh, although strange looking, it uh, it itself is benign. Yeah, uh, can be a sign of a urinary tract infection, so they do need to rule that out. And uh, fortunately for the woman, it did not. She did not have a urinary tract infection, and her pee gradually returned to normal after a four-day period of increased hydration. Nice, nice. Yeah. Did she drink a lot of grape drink? <laughs> purple drink. Yeah. <laughs> Boy, cut out, other, cut out my other. Cut out that shitty joke. Let's just go with that. <laughs> just just <laughs> <like> grape juice. <laughs> they, they changed her diet from grape juice only to water. <laughs> <laughs> nice yeah if you want to learn more about uh purple drink uh go back and listen to one of our street drugs episodes yeah <laughs> so i'll tell you what, i'm gonna do my last one here then we'll get into yours okay because again it's not very long here okay sounds good so wasabi friend or foe oh god i that is the, that is the friend that punches you in the back of the face and you say thank you <laughs> it just i don't know how it gets behind my nose and punches me but it does it and uh, it's oh god it's so good (laughs) so uh would you say that they would have uh, wasabi would have a similar appearance to avocado um mm, to the uninitiated maybe so uh they're both popular they're both green and you probably don't want to confuse one with the other, given their drastically different tastes and levels of spiciness, right? Yeah. Uh, when I was growing up, we had some uh, relatives come over from England. It was two guys. They were in their 20s. They were a lot of fun. And uh, we were eating uh, dinner outside, and we were having, like, steak and potatoes that had been barbecued. This is when I lived back in Canada. Yeah. And, oh, uh, and did you just put a, just a tiny amount of pepper on your steak? And they went, like, my God, this is the spiciest thing ever. And you're like, that's we, right. You're do British. You wanna, you're... Do you want to <laughs> Do you want to be striked? <laughs> I will strike you. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. I shouldn't make fun of the British. They're wonderful people. <laughs> well, this was uh, – so, anyway, they were sitting there eating. And part of the – because they uh, – it was steak, and so my mom had put some uh, horseradish sauce on the table. Oh, nice. And one of the guys had put some dollop of horseradish sauce on his plate, and the other guy goes, hey, where'd you get the mashed potatoes? Reaches over, takes a big old scoop of it, and before we can stop him, stuffs it in his mouth. Wow. Never flinched. Never fucking flinched. <laughs> Ate it, sat there like no big deal. Took a drink of beer, went back to his meal. Yeah, just I kept mean, talking the way he was before. Wow. I mean, we're all we're all sitting there waiting for the explosion. <laughs> no, and you know what? Like, fucking props to his commitment because you know he knew the minute that touched his fucking tongue, he had <laughs> fucked that up, and he's sitting there like, "Oh God, I'm an idiot. Can't show them. Can't Don't show let them anything." <laughs> I mean, and not even any, any involuntary reactions. There was no sweat. There was no snot. There was no nothing. So, uh, <laughs> this lady in Israel mixed up. Uh, where was she? I don't think it tells us. Uh, oh, she was attending a wedding. 60-year-old woman attending a we- wedding when she ate a large amount of wasabi, which she thought was avocado. Now, okay. I know they look a lot alike, but they're not really exact. And I've got to tell you, when you get it close to your nose... There is a distinct difference in the smells. Huh. 
I don't know. You know. I don't have a great sense of smell. Oh, okay. But, uh, or maybe it's just one of those things that she was chatting and laughing and not paying attention and just didn't smell it as it went by her nose and into her mouth and it was done by the time she figured it out. Unleashing her, anyway, inner, so, unleashing her inner millennial and just spreading it on her toast exactly. while she talks to somebody. Yeah. Exactly. So she, well, she, she thought it was avocado and according to the, uh, which uh, this large amount of wasabi she thought was avocado. According to the BMJ case reports, which is, I believe, is a British medical journal. Yeah. Who I tried to go and look at the actual case report, and they want money for. Oh. So I don't have it. Uh, a few minutes later, though, she felt a sudden pressure in her chest radiating to her arms. Uh-oh. Yeah. The next day, she was diagnosed with Takasubos, or broken heart syndrome. Oh, wow. Nice. Yeah. Uh, we also have an article. We also have a, a, a podcast on that. So this is a condition in which the heart's muscles pumping chamber, the left ventricle, becomes enlarged and weakened, so that it doesn't pump properly. It's a cardiomegaly. Yes, yes. Right. That sounds cardiomyopathy or cardiomegaly. I mean, I think technically it's a cardiomy like the Takasubas is a cardiomyopathy. Okay. Uh, the condition can be triggered by emotional or physical stress. I had a uh, code save at the end of last year that ended up being diagnosed as Takasubos. Nice. And uh, the staff at where she worked, who were doing CPR, were doing CPR so good, she was trying to talk when we got there. Oh, that's when you just K-hole her. Stop talking. <laughs> stop fighting. <laughs> no, no, I'm going to do... No, no. All we had to do was uh, stop CPR. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and then she went unconscious. Because we did when we first got there. We're like, because she's trying to talk. We're like, okay, stop, stop. And then like 10 seconds later, you're like, well, no, start again, start again. <laughs> Wait a minute. <laughs> and she tried. She, <laughs> Yeah. And she clearly, we, uh, car- we the defibrillated her twice to like uh, across the room V-fib. It was coarse, coarse V-fib. Oh, wow. And uh, gave, her, gave her some lidocaine, took her to the hospital. She was awake. But for once we got her pulse started, she woke back up. To the point where they had to sedate her to intubate her to take her to the cardiac, the the cath lab, where they found nothing. That is. No blockages or anything like that. Uh, So, the condition can be triggered by emotional or physical stress. In this case, the doctors suspect that the burning mouthful of of wasabi may have triggered the woman's syndrome. Yeah. Fortunately, the condition is not usually temporary, or is usually temporary, and the the woman recovered after about a month of treatment with heart medications. So Takasubos, or broken heart syndrome, is typically the result of sudden stress. And doctors usually treat it with beta blockers, which slow down the heart rate. And then angiotensin-converting enzymes, also known as ACE inhibitors, to lower the blood pressure or diuretics to treat the condition. But yeah, most of, more often than not, the heart will return to something close to normal function. It's not necessarily comes back at 100%, but uh, yeah. Yeah. Given time and treatment. Takasubos. It's crazy. Yeah, it's a super cool. And why is it called Takasubos? Uncool condition. Depending. Why is it called Takasubos? Yeah. Well, I mean, like, it w- it's cool to observe in other people, but, like, you know, I wouldn't right. fucking want it. <laughs> but do you know why it's called Takasubos? Yeah, it's, uh, oh, God, what is it? The, uh, the something pot. Uh, Octopus pot in Japanese. Exactly. Yeah, because of the uh, shape. Because of because the, uh, the uh, cardiomyopathy, the shape of the heart resembled the, the doctor, a uh, octopus trap. Yeah. Or an octopus pot. Yeah. So, 
Yeah. So those are my stories. Yeah. Well, let's. I go, thought they were interesting. Well, let's go on to this last one. This one. Has Bring it on home, Chris. Life. <laughs> okay. This one has life <laughs> and death and life. So, in Michigan, nice. two medics have had their licenses suspended with two more pending uh, because they declared <laughs> a woman dead and she was found alive later at a Detroit funeral home. This is one of my biggest fears when calling patients. Yeah. Yeah. No, I hear you. But I uh, Am I am I wrong? <laughs> this, is, this is the double tap, man. <laughs> <laughs> That's super inappropriate humor. I'm sorry. I apologize. Spencer no, this would, isn't pre-hospital Spencer would be vision. This is medical stuff. Spencer would be disgusted <laughs> with the way that I've been talking. Um, yeah, but this isn't pre-hospital perfect vision. We have lower standards here. This is medical stuff. So, so <laughs> the patient in question is Tamisha Buchan. That sounds right. Uh, who's 20 and has a history of cerebral palsy. So she was found by family unresponsive at her home around 7.30, and the fire department EMS arrived, and they immediately started CPR. And they did CPR and worked this code for about 30 minutes. And so the fire department chief, uh, excuse me, the fire department put out a statement later uh, explaining, given the medical readings and the- She seemed dead. What's that? (laughs) She seemed dead. She, yeah. Oh, yeah. Damn it. I'm not dead. I think I'll go for a walk. So Bring out your dead, yeah. little Monty Python. Yep. So given the medical readings and the condition of the patient, it was determined at the time that she did not have signs of life. Now, that was the Southfield Fire Department statement. So... Okay. There is some weird oddity in the story that I really couldn't clarify, but they they repeat in multiple news articles and uh, you know in statements that they checked three times after uh, <clears throat> I believe after calling declaring that they were going to cease efforts, and the family felt that there were signs of life, but again on three separate occasions uh, they checked and they said like. There, there isn't any. So they contacted per so their protocol. Have you ever gone back and rechecked a DOS? Um, you know, if like I haven't, but if the family said like, "Oh my God, hey, I think they're moving," I, you know, like you kind of, you kind of have to go. <laughs> you, 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 yeah. you go in and you just go like, "Okay, well, we will go." You know, I let's go take a look, and then you confirm that. Or we'll take nothing. the Monty Python method and just. <laughs> just whack them over the head and throw them on the cart. <laughs> that, that what you're referring to? Because uh, that seems kind of dark, man. Not that I'm suggesting that. I'm make, trying to make more of a Monty Python joke than an, an actual recommendation for treatment. <laughs> Boy, don't let you work me. Mm. <laughs> yeah, he's dead. No, I say he's dead. Thunk. <laughs> so. No, I'm not. Shut up, Spence. He's dead. He's dead. <laughs> I feel happy. No, you don't. So the medics contacted a physician, uh, an emergency room physician, and they talked with this gentleman or person or female. They talked with this person for a, you know, to, to say, hey, we're going to terminate efforts. 
And then the police department contacted a medical examiner. So the fire chief, Johnny Johnny Menefee, says that the medics followed their protocols to the T. So ultimately what happened was she was placed in a body bag and transported to the James H. Cole funeral home, where her lawyer says that they were basically just about to embalm her. They unzipped the body bag. And then found the patient very much alive with her eyes open and breathing. <laughs> and How much time do you think the uh, the mortician had to take off after that for post-traumatic stress oh, disorder? God, is that yeah. like the worst thing that you could come across as a mortician is right. the patient is alive? <laughs> of all the days to not wear pants, this is the day where to <laughs> have a person alive. God damn it. So, by the way, for the timeline, this was more than two hours later after she was declared dead. And did they say how alive was she? She was, was her eyes open? Was she talking or was she breathing? She was talking. She was, uh, uh, eyes were open and she was breathing. So they took her from there to the hospital. Now remember, she does have a history of cerebral palsy, so I'm not sure what her baseline function is in terms of. Good point. um, Okay. Excellent point. Um, so the question is, so like what the fuck happened here and how do we not let this happen to us, Mark? (laughs) Right. <laughs> so, please. <laughs> did they miss something? And, like, you know, did four medics well, really... I'm going to have to go with yes. Did, well, <laughs> here's the thing. This is where it gets interesting. Have you ever heard of the Lazarus Syndrome? Well, I mean, there's the Bible reference. Yeah. But... So, David Don- Donaldson, a cardiologist, electrophysiologist is quoted in the news article, it was an NBC News article, as saying, the main theory is that after we are done doing CPR as medical providers and administering medications to try to revive the patients, it's thought after we stop, then these medications may actually have some time to circulate to the arterial system of the heart. He says that it's... So is this, is this a situation where the patient was probably not in PEA? actually had a pulse they just couldn't feel it because her pressure was so low i'm not sure uh, like so honestly they're there he says that it's a v- extremely rare situation there are less than 50 reported cases and usually the time between uh like the time between the declaration and the patient suddenly spontaneously on their own getting a pulse back is about 10 minutes after they've been declared dead he says there have been wow. cases described hours later, just the majority of them will occur, will occur within the first 10 minutes. And he said he wouldn't specify. Well, the, the reason I asked that question about the PEA yeah. was because where I worked in Oklahoma, we carried Dopplers because we had to confirm PEA with a Doppler oh, at a carotid artery. Yeah. Just to make sure it was PEA and not actually just a hypotensive reaction where it's like, okay, yeah. we do have a pulse. Let's give some fluid. Let's give some, you yeah, know, for let's sure. give some. Uh... For sure. That makes sense. So Dr. Donaldson said he also wouldn't specify that if specify whether or not this was the case here because he didn't have access to the specifics. He was just sort of an expert doctor weighing in. So right. let's talk about the Lazarus phenomenon. It's a condition in which patients who appear to be clinically dead spontaneously return to life. As a note, Jesus. a majority eventually die. Like, 
soon after spontaneously right. coming back. Well, there was a there was a reason they were dead. They had they had CPR done on them, and the code was being worked it, in the first exactly. place. Exactly. Like so, but as many as a third of these patients actually make a full recovery. <laughs> so, anesthesiologist Jack Bray Jr. was the one who gave it its name in 1993, and as you aptly identified, based on the Bible. So, a doctor from North Wales, Ad Hyaman, uh, ended up writing a review of his medical findings on the subject after he and his team encountered a case in the early 2000s. And the reason he encountered the case and wrote this review is because he had to do a fuck ton of research to try and explain what had happened uh, because he got sued. (laughs) So. (laughs) <laughs> it went to you know it, or it went to court you know i don't know if he got sued or if there was some kind of you know like other legal a- aspect there I, I actually don't recall um people had questions people, there were questions that. generated <laughs> about the guy who he declared dead and suddenly wasn't dead um people, people were curious <laughs> yeah so his analysis reviewed 38 <coughs> cases um and from there other reviews actually generated so uh, other reviews from other groups found only 32 cases since 1982, but another group in, uh, I believe, Germany uh, ended up compiling up to 45 cases, with a lot of them being sort of the same cases. So here's hmm. the thing. There's actually a really big concern about underreporting of this condition, and there's some reasons for that. They say that it's prob- there's a big possibility that it's due to legal and professional concerns by providers. Um, right. A survey performed in 2000, excuse me, a survey performed in 2013 found that nearly half of all French ER doctors believe they have seen this condition in which they have declared someone dead, walked away, and the person spontaneously came back to life. A 2012 survey showed that a third of critical care doctors in uh, Canada feel that they have encountered this condition at least once. So, there are lots of speculations as to what's happening, but there aren't really any good answers. Some of the theories think that there is, you know, when CPR is being performed, there is a dynamic inflation of the lungs, which might actually reduce blood flow to the heart. So, think about this. We're, you know, like we're performing CPR. Somebody is using a bag valve mask. Maybe the patient is intubated. Maybe they have a supraglottic airway. Or maybe somebody's just got, you know, like they got a good fucking mouth seal and they are squeezing that bag and shoving as much air into that body because the patient needs the oxygen, right? But unfortunately, right. putting that much air, too much air actually reduces the amount of blood flowing back into the heart and means that the CPR is less effective. So they're, we're really not aiming to, you know, ex- we're, you're not trying to inflate the patient like a balloon. You're really just trying to get right. just a small amount, as, as little amount that they need as you can. You know, it's a fine line to walk. So their thought is that when the CPR stops, well, then fuck the blood flow returns and all those medications and all those things that we've been pushing into them now can actually take effect. The other thought is that... Con- well, the, not, now the amount of epis in the patient is equivalent to norepi. Exactly. Yeah. It's just pushing everything <laughs> along. So the other thought is that maybe in some situations like hyperkalemia, where there's drugs like calcium and uh, sodium bicarbonate that are being administered to kind of, you know, like it, when someone's in hyperkalemia to the point where they're coded, 
Um, there's just way too much potassium in their blood, and that makes the you know heart not work very well because you know it's part of the whole electrical process in the heart. Um, and so mm -hmm. if they add drugs to kind of mitigate that, those might take a little bit of time to work, and then they start working after you've already given up. <laughs> so there's a lot of ideas as, as to what this might be, but basically the recommendation by experts on this subject is, hey, just monitor patients after declaring them dead for about 15 <laughs> minutes. And just stand there you and can, you know, check a pulse. You can be pretty <laughs> sure. And so basically, like, declare, you know, the, the advice in the article I saw said, you know, you declare the patients and then you, you notify the family and then you just, you know, have them on the monitor in the room. And that way, if uh, something should happen, everybody is right there. They can still respond. You know, you, you don't have to unzip the body bag, right. you know, all of that. Right. So, and the, scare the piss out of the mortician. And this is a really good point. Like, the 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 author of the article basically said, like, "Hey, remember that death is not an event; it is a process." Mm -hmm. And that is absolutely true. So, the question is, did that happen here? Maybe, maybe that's what took place here. Is they called the patient and she you know had had this phenomenon that i sounds like it probably is super rare but maybe more common than we actually anticipate or right. maybe it was some kind of negligence on the fire department it's uh it's a really interesting case um yeah. and that's why it's news hmm wow imagine getting that phone call from your medical director <laughs> Oh God! Hey, so hey, man. You had a code tell me about yesterday. this guy you declared dead. <laughs> you read a code earlier uh -huh. today. Why? And you called them? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I did. Yeah. Yeah. So. Well, he's dead again. Yeah, but it's about a day after yeah. you said. <laughs> right. <laughs> so they're not dead. Yeah. <laughs> so we need you to come down. We have some questions. Oh God. Yeah. <laughs> Just uh. Yeah, bring your pager with you. He says you tried to hit him with a stick <laughs> and put him on a cart. I, uh... Oh, we've got a lot of questions. We've got questions. Yeah. But uh, not saying we made a decision or anything, but uh, yeah, bring your uniforms and your pager. <laughs> Joke's on you. I don't use a pager. All right. Well. Uh... Yeah, bring your pagers and your uniforms because. Uh... Yeah. <laughs> this definitely doesn't look good. So. Yeah. Well, well, that's all I have. How about you, man? Ah, that's that's it. That's it. So, yeah, uh, kind of a long episode, but I think fun. A lot of information, a lot of good information, a lot of stuff that makes you kind of turn your head to the side like a puppy and say, hmm. Mm. Spencer you know, wishes he what, could generate uh, this kind of, this length of an episode. <laughs> exactly, you know. You know, he's good for like 45 minutes, but... <laughs> more like five ask his wife <laughs> oh so yeah if you want to get a hold of us uh get a hold of us on social media you can uh, get a hold of us on twitter at uh medside stuff m-e-d-s-i-d-e-s-t-u-f-f -F. Uh, we're on instagram at medical stuff 52 uh, we're also on uh, facebook at medical stuff 
And uh, Chris, do you have anything else you want to promote while you're here? Another show, maybe? Or oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, you should check out EMS 2020 on uh, you know your podcasting services because well, it's an excellent show, and I, Chris Finkston, am on it, and uh, my co-host Spencer Oliver, the phenomenal Spencer Oliver, the fantastic. <laughs> Spencer Oliver is on there. The the words cannot explain how great Spencer Oliver. Words fail. I mean, <laughs> it's like if you want to get a... it's like everyone else is yeah Spencer like like everyone else is peeing yellow. Spencer's peeing purple. <laughs> just, just peeing excellence. If you want to send medical stuff an email, send us at medside stuff at yahoo com. And what's your email address? Do you have one for everybody to send you messages? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, we do. Hold on one second. Let me not be an asshole and actually say it right here. Um, it is... We should give him Chris's email. <laughs> right. <laughs> it is ems2020podcast at gmail.com. There you go. You can send them uh, critiques, kvetches, concerns, complaints, con- you know, and condom- uh, condemnations and, co- and, co- and compliments all at the same time all in the same email absolutely okay so anyway we're gonna get out here we'll talk to you next week and on that note bagel (laughs) sweet all right i will hit stop yeah